mine, some of my, uh, my, some of my grandfather's sermons were in there, and I actually spent about an hour just rabbit trailing down some sermons of my grandfather's from, uh, from 2010, and I looked through this, and I found a page. I, I used to think I was a lot smarter than I was, or am, and I thought I was, I went through this phase uh, that I thought I was going to be an author. I just knew I had all these grand ideas to write books, and so I found the outlines for these for these books I was going to write, and I found a book title that I wrote down that I'd forgotten about 12, almost 13 years ago, uh, that was Testimonies of what God had done, and my, my story and my testimonies were a lot fresher on my mind than they, they are now, and I, I found that, and the title that I had put there was God's Good and I'm an Idiot, and I thought about that today, and this is nothing to do with what I'm talking about, it's just been on my heart this afternoon. I thought about that today, and I realized that, Brother Clyde, God was good when I wasn't. God's been great to me any time I've lived for God. But in the times that I wasn't, He was still God. He was still good, and He still watched out for me. And I, I was, as I, <coughs> as I sat down and read that, I was kind of thinking over it, and I, it came to mind two or three years ago, I, uh, we had made... My wife and I were still living in Greenville, and we had made, uh, I don't remember now, Christmas or Thanksgiving or some sort of dinner and uh, taken it down to the sheriff's department and dropped off. It was around the holidays, and uh, just taking a meal down and dropped it off. And I, while I was there, I ran into uh, a guy that I now call a friend, but I used to call an officer. And uh, we were sitting there talking for a moment. He said, I'll, I'll just be honest. really didn't expect to see you alive this long. And we've talked a few times since then, and uh, he, he elaborated on that the next time I saw him. He said, every time I saw you, you were doing something that deserved for you to be dead. He said, and here it is, however many years later, and he was going back to when I was 15, 16, 17, and uh, <coughs> interactions he had with me at that age rather than, than later on. And he said, every time I saw you, you were doing something that you ought to have been dead. And he said, all we told each other when you were a teenager was that if his grandpa wasn't a preacher and his grandma wasn't a prayer, he wouldn't have made it this long. I think it's pretty awesome that those that knew the kind of mess I was still could recognize who God was from the relationship that was there and the hand he had upon me. And I am, I am thankful. I'm probably never going to write a book. If I do, I probably won't write that one. But I am thankful that God's good even when I'm an idiot. Um, I am going to like copyright it though, so nobody. Can, I still think it's a good book title, so none of you steal that and write a book, because I might get bored when I get old. Uh, but anyway, we're we're going to get into the uh, word for a few moments. I I'm not going to be real long this evening. I'm going to a question that I was asked this week, um, and I'm not sure if it was a good question or a bad question, but. I made mention Sunday that I don't worry about a whole lot. My wife probably will tell you that I don't worry about enough. Um, <coughs> I tend to be a bit of a dreamer and not a whole lot of a worrier, and I, I don't think about all the little things, and a lot of it is simply because I'm like just missing some brain cells or something. But I, I, I don't worry a whole lot. And somebody asked me um, since Sunday, said, hey, how is it that you just don't worry. And I will say there are things I worry about. Probably not the right things. I was really worried 
that I was going to run out of 20-gauge waterfowl ammunition before the new shipment came in. That was, that was a big worry this week. There are some things I worry about, but I have learned that the big things I don't worry about. Um, not because I'm not concerned, but simply because of two things, and we're going to talk a little bit in depth. And I'm, I'm not going to say that this is any huge amount of wisdom or super deep insightful teaching. What I'm going to say is this, for me, is a few pretty personal steps that allow me to, this is what I do to take the big things and let them not be my things. And so we're going to go and really picking up almost where I finished Sunday morning. Um, but less, more of a practical application, and maybe this is just for me, but this evening uh, we're going to talk a little bit about winning over worry and what I do personally to be able to take those big things and not make them go away, not let them be little things. My, i got plenty of problems, and a lot of my problems are still pretty big, but what I've found is that I can take my big things and I can let them be God's things. It's really what it comes down to, and I, I took some time to learn that at, at some point in life, and it may be, I'm going to, I know I mentioned my, my grandparents a lot, but I'm going to reference them again shortly. It may be that I had a grandfather was the calmest man you would ever meet, and I, I say that I, I was not an easy kid to be around. I can remember crashing his tractor. I can remember when I took the church baptistry tank that I thought was getting thrown away, if I'm honest, but it was not. It was just out for remodel. And I used it to sit in the field, pile dirt on and make a four-wheeler jump. Um, they had to buy a new baptistry tank. Um, and I tore the tractor up while I was doing that because 12-year-olds need tractors. Uh, I, I can remember shooting out a window. I can remember putting my cousin's head through a window. I remember the time my cousin and I decided to have a BB gun fight and that wasn't enough. So I stabbed him. We had a knife fight. We weren't like mad at each other. We were just, just playing. Um, I probably was, I'm so glad. Like my kids could be really bad. They're way better than I am. Just know that they're, this generation is a whole lot better than we were a generation ago. Um, I, I can remember that my grandmother kept my shot records, not my mom, because it was pretty routine that she had to check while I was at the farm and see if my techno shot was up to date. Like, pretty routine. <coughs> I was, even when, by the time I got married, I was not that far out of my last tetanus shot. Like, months, not years. Um, and in all that time, now my grandma, she was, she was a, a fiery lady. And she let me know how she felt multiple times. Um, she would, I remember, she had the, Identical piano to this, except brown. Same model, same piano. Uh, sitting in her living room all my life, and sitting right here on it was a very small, I'm assuming expensive glass baby grand piano. It's about this tall. And I remember one Christmas, she's somebody had gotten a ball. And when the whole family's in the living room, you got like 40 people in one room, what you don't do is give the kids a ball. So I'm, I'm looking at it, and you boys don't be throwing that ball in the house. Well, I wouldn't do that. A couple minutes later, I'm kind of doing this with it. Don't be throwing that ball in the house. I wouldn't do that. And Then I see my cousin across the room, and I chuck that ball at him, and I catch that glass baby grand piano, and it is no more. It went into pieces and pieces and pieces, and it was she was pretty proud of it. I 
She did not appreciate that. And I remember her letting me know how much she appreciated that, um, both in word and action. <laughs> um, and she, she hollered at me until she was wore out, then went ahead and wore me out. And then when I had the guts to cry about getting beat on, she said, if you want to cry, we're trying to have Christmas here. You go in the back room and cry. We ain't got no place for that. You want to keep that up, I'll give you something to cry about. But get out of here. We're trying to have Christmas. So she, she let me know about it. But in the midst of all my shenanigans, in the midst of me crashing trucks and tearing up tractors and knocking windows out and everything that I did, I shooting a church window out with a BB gun. Like I, There was plenty, to, not on purpose, I was just shooting the BB gun inside the church and missed my target. Um, but, I mean, there was lots of reasons for my grandfather to be upset with me. And in my life, I never heard him raise his voice in anger. Not just at me, but at anyone. And that says a lot about the man. It says more to say that his four boys, who were all fairly as rambunctious, never heard him raise his voice in anger. And my grandmother, who had known him all his life, one time when he was 19 years old, she heard him raise his voice in anger. He was a pretty calm, demeanored guy. And <coughs> he was that way. I mean, he didn't get angry, but he also, he was just even all the time. And I asked him, I remember we were, we had just started pastoring and I had not learned not to worry about things yet. Um, and I was, I don't remember the situation, but I was stressed. Something had gone wrong. I don't know, I'd hurt somebody's feelings or the quick coming. I, I made every mistake a pastor could make. I was, I was 23 years old and probably doing everything I could wrong. And, and I remember I was so upset and I sit down with my grandfather. And I said, Paul, I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, like not sleeping. I'm stressed. I can't deal. He said, son, don't get too highs with the highs. Don't get too lows with the lows. And that described him. And then he told me a few things and that... <coughs> Those few things made it into this list. So that's the background of the next, hopefully, 13 minutes. I'm going to try and be done by 8 o'clock. But he told me a few things, and he said, this is not exciting, not easy, but super practical. If you can do these, you can deal. And I, the first thing he gave me, and there's nothing groundbreaking here. I'm not, we're not going to say anything you haven't heard before. I'm not going to read any magical scriptures I've found that you haven't found before, probably not even any new ways of looking at scriptures, but a simplistic view of how to take my big things and let them be God's things. First, in Matthew 6.33, <coughs> and this is a basis for me for dealing with almost everything in life, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. My grandfather taught me that if I would put God first, I still had to have a relationship with God whether I was having a good day or a bad day, whether I had big problems or no problems, <coughs> no matter what was coming, what was going, whether I was on the mountaintop or in the valley, to always put God's first. And if I could seek Him first, and I could strive to seek to His righteousness first, if I could be who I needed to be and live for him like I needed to live for him, he would take care of the other things. And along that same line, in putting God first, in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, <coughs> I'm going to start reading with verse 12. 
says, I know both how to be abased. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he goes on, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. And if I take those two things together, and I remember that no matter what, I put God first in my relationship with him first, I then realize that regardless of what I go through, whether I am abased or abound, whether I'm suffering or not suffering, whether I'm full or I'm hungry, in the midst of every one of these places, I can get through it because I am in relationship with the one that I put first, and I can get through it because he will strengthen me. So the first thing on my list is to realize that no matter what comes, that I put God first. I, <coughs> I always take that to, to mean in my head when I think of that it's put God in his place. And we talk about putting somebody in their place, and generally we're, we're talking down saying, well, who do they think they are? I'm going to put them in their place. But for me to put God in his place is to realize with humility that he has to be up here. And that if he's up here, I can get through. Regardless of what may come, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, put God first. The second thing I want to look at is, <coughs> excuse me, is that we must surrender all to him. We'll start out in the book of James, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. <coughs> he said, but you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. If the Lord will, we'll do this. Or if the Lord will, we'll do that. But right now, he says, you're rejoicing in your boastings. You're uh, talking about what you've done and how you've done it says that that's evil that glorying in what you've done and I have to realize that I didn't do it anything that I've achieved anywhere that I've gotten is not because I deserved it but because God did it I have to realize that I've got to surrender both it's so easy sometimes we talked about this on Sunday morning sometimes it's even hard to surrender our problems to God Sometimes God's sitting there waiting saying, if you'll just hand it to me and we're just sitting out the door pacing like the little kid that did something wrong or that broke something or whatever. And God's sitting there saying, if you'll just come in, I already see it. I already know what's happened if you'll bring it to me. But it is, for me anyway, easier to surrender my problems to God. But I really need to surrender my all to God. That doesn't just mean God's not a vending machine. That's only there when I need something. I never put money in a vending machine unless I want something out of that vending machine. I, I don't remember ever walking up to a, to a soda machine and I, I put my dollar in and then just turn and walk off. That's not what you do. You put your money in, then you hit the button, and then it gets stuck and doesn't give it to you, and you kick it and you get mad. But never have I interacted with a vending machine not expecting something in return. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we're not submitting our all to God. We're submitting our need or our want to God. How often is our prayer, 
just trying to get us. We know what the Lord's Prayer says, and we know we have to get through these steps. So it's, Lord God, you're so good. I appreciate you for all you do. I thank you for supplying for me. God, da, 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 da. And God, here's what I need you to do. This and this and this and this and this. And the next thing I know, I've prayed for 30 minutes, and the first 30 seconds was me doing the relationship with God. And the next 29 minutes and 30 seconds was me telling God all the things I needed him to do. That's not submitting all to him. That's not giving it all to him. That's not even really being in relationship with him. That's saying, Jesus, you're my vending machine. I'm going to give you this 30 seconds of praise, and here are the things I need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift you up just a minute. I'm going to thank you for what you've done just a minute. I need a Reese's and a Dr. Pepper, please. Thank you. God's not a vending machine. And our relationship with him is not as such, but if that... <laughs> I ought to say, as we read here in James, that, Lord, if your will, if your will I'll live, if your will I'll do this, if your will I'll do that, if your will be, then this happens. But our relationship has to be that our good and our bad be submitted to him. I'm not only talking to him when I need something, but I'm talking to him on a daily basis, regularly, being in a relationship And I'm giving him praise and glory for the good things as just as much as I'm taking him the bad. Then go to uh, 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. (coughs) Read verses 6 and 7. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In verse 7, casting all your care upon him. Now oftentimes we read verse 7 and skip verse 6. Casting all your care. All your care upon him, for he careth for you. He's writing here and he says, Give everything you've got, all your problems to him, because he loves you and he'll take care of them. And if I just pull that verse out, that's I've made it back to my vending machine. But if I go back to verse 6, and I first humble myself under the mighty hand of God, I put God in his place. I let him be Lord And I let me be me. When I do that and when things are in the order they're supposed to be in, when I have submitted all that I have to him, it's then that I cast all my care upon him because he cares for me. I I like kids sometimes. I love my kids most of the time. But if a kid runs up and asks me for something, I mean, if it's like a necessity, I don't care who the kid is, like, I'm going to do what I can. But if a kid walks up and asks me for something that's a want, they're way more likely to get it if they're my kid. Like, I'm sorry, but y'all's kids walk up to me. Want, I mean, I generally tell my kids tough luck, but if y'all's kids aren't near as likely to get money out of me as mine are. And mine ain't likely to get much. But they try. Uh, but it's that relationship with my children that I know that I'm going to care for them and I'm going to take care of them and I'm going to do everything I, <coughs> I can to give them what they need and what they want because I love them and I've got that relationship with them. It's that I'm dad and they're the kid. And God's telling us here, I've got to be God. You've got to be you. I have to have submitted all, surrendered all, to him. The next thing that we have to learn, Sister Laura, is to work for God and wait. That waiting. 
part's not a lot of fun. 27th chapter of Psalm. I'm going to start reading with verse 13. (coughs) David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. He said, I wouldn't have made it unless I believed that it was coming before it got there. Verse 14, he says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. David says, I'm only making it because I'm believing on things that aren't here yet. Now we translate in the New Testament that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Once I've given something to God, I've got to realize that he doesn't always answer like or when I think he should. That's a problem for me. I like, uh, Amber will tell you that I, a lot of things I'm not at all particular about. And if you like walked in my shop and saw the disarray, you'd think there was nothing I was particular about. Now the house is different because that's my wife's realm. The shop is my realm and it's messier. Uh, (coughs) But there are some things my wife will tell you that for no reason whatsoever, seemingly just my weird psyche, I get particular about things. And those things I'm like, this has to be this way and this way and this way and this way. And like, I'll plan my day out in the morning and something happens and I'm like, but I'm supposed to be here right now doing this. So then if I'm not careful, that bit of my psyche makes it into my prayer and I'm saying, God, I'm not saying, God, I give this situation to you. I'm saying, God, here's what I need you to do and here's how you're going to do it and these are the people you're going to use and this is the way it's going to happen. And God just sitting up there laughing saying, why would I do that? That doesn't even make sense. I'm going to do this. And he's got something greater and bigger and grander than what I'm asking for. But I don't have the patience to wait. Scripture shows us where that happened. We see fighting in the Middle East today because Abram couldn't wait. Ishmael coming before Isaac caused tension for thousands now of years simply because Abram didn't have enough faith to say God's promised this and he's going to do it. But he said, God promised this and I'm going to do it. When God makes a promise, it's not up to me to fulfill that promise. Now, if God tells me, go do this, that's differently. But when I say, well, God's promised this, so I'm going to do it. That's not always how he works. And he had far greater things in mind than Abram and Sarah saw. But they turned a great thing that... Still a great thing, but they turned, added a whole lot of mess to this great situation because they didn't have the faith to sit and wait on who God was. Hold on to his promises, but wait. We go to the book of Romans, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to be a couple minutes over, but we're just about there. Book of Romans, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 18. says, who against hoped believed in hope, That he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, I know I just told you that he was weak in faith, but we're talking about Abraham here. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And we've looked in on Abraham shortly after one situation and coming into another here. But the understanding, he's 
saying, hey, we're going to have a baby. His wife's laughing, laughing, saying, well, we're 100 years old. We have no kids. And this guy just came and he told me and we're, and he built up this place of faith and faith to the point that he even was willing to take that promise up the mountain. Knowing that in his mind that he'd been told to go sacrifice and yet he tells the servant, the boy and I shall return. That's faith. He, he had an, something with God through the interactions he'd given that said regardless of what the promise is, regardless of what's coming, God's promised this, and I'm going to see it. It's going to happen. We have to hold on to his promises, have that faith, regardless of what comes, regardless of what happens. I want to read one last scripture in First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. <coughs> it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's a whole lot more there. We could spend days unpacking 1 Thessalonians chapter 6. But rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. There are some times that it's real hard to do that. There are some times that the last thing I want to do is give thanks. There's some times I've, I've been in situations that I, I get to, a, I've been to a place where I was mad enough at God, I was real hard time telling Him thank you for anything. But if I can do that, if I can put Him first, and I can surrender everything to Him, and I can wait on Him, and hold on to his promises in the midst of all that if I can praise him. I can then know, for me, and there again, I told you when I started this evening that this, this is simply my recipe. But I can then know that I've taken my big thing. And at that point, it's God's thing. He's got it. I've, I've put him first. I know that he's in charge. And I heard it explained, and I don't remember who explained it, but it's the last thing I'm going to say this evening. I heard it explained this way when you go to war. The guy making the decisions, the guy that's ultimately responsible, is not the guy on the ground, but it's the guy in charge. Same way in business. Business fails. It can't be blamed on the guy stocking the shelves. It's blamed on the guy in charge. Whatever that situation may be, whatever we're looking at, when there's a place for failure or a place for glory, we we look at the one in charge and we say, it was up to them. History books don't list every name of every soldier. We find the names of presidents and generals. Whether that is success or failure, those are the ones we find. We don't hear of one of my favorite elders in my church growing up and actually pastored before my grandfather was Roy Allen. I've never read, Roy served in World War II. I've never read his name in a history book. Never heard some pretty awesome stories from his mouth, but I 
I've never opened a book and said, well, Roy Allen did this or Roy Allen did that. But I could find his leaders, those that he saw and followed and commanded. And I have to realize that I'm not Eisenhower, I'm Roy Allen. I'm not the guy making the decisions, I'm the guy on the ground. When it comes to that, it's not my job to take ownership of the problem, it's his problem. So once I've put God in his place and he's up here and I'm down here, all of a sudden my problem, even if it's my big problem, it's not mine anymore. I have to quit taking ownership of my problem and I have to let it be his problem because he's the general. He's the guy in charge. So anyway, this evening that's my my steps and that's really an answer to a question I was asked earlier this week, but that's my steps for winning over worry. I hope something there helps somebody. Mostly that reiterated some things for me this week. I, I actually, these are not a new set of notes. This is something that I've, uh, I visit, revisit pretty frequently. And every few months I pull this out and I kind of go back through it. I, I had to write it in a new notebook. didn't have to, but my, my new notebook matches my Bible. So I wrote it in my new notebook. Uh, but I have the old notebook, and it's sitting there, and the pages are falling apart, the cover's falling off, because I've revisited a whole lot of times. But if I can remember to let my big problems become his problems, I don't have to fear, I don't have to worry, because he's God and I'm not. So I thank you all for being here this evening. You are dismissed.